You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Thanks for joining us for this Viva podcast. Today we'll be discussing bioceramics use and indications in surgical endodontics. Our guest is Dr. Ali Nase, founder of Microsurgical Endodontics and a practicing endodontist in Boston, Massachusetts. He has been an active faculty and a clinical instructor at the Department of Restorative Dentistry and Biomaterial Sciences postdoctoral program at Harvard School of Dental Medicine since 1994. Dr. Nase is a national and international speaker and lectures actively. He goes by Ali, and that's what I'm going to call him today. Ali, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, thank you so much, Phil, for having me. You covered bioceramics, and you talked about your participation in developing one of the biggest products on the market right now related to the endodontic bioceramic endosequence, which is fascinating. And you talked about the non-surgical root canal therapy applications. In a previous podcast before that, you went over bioceramics in great detail, which I recommend all of our listeners to tap into. And today we'll be talking about the use of bioceramics in surgical endodontics. So what is the surgical endodontic landscape and what are some of the materials used in this area? Well, Phil, I think one of the most underutilized areas of endodontics is surgical epicolectomy and surgical root repair. Unfortunately, part of this is because many of the endodontic residency programs don't train um, endodontists to have adequate surgical um, skills so that you end up getting patients going through multiple, multiple revisions and lesions still persist. Some of the most efficient ways to address problems that are apical in origin, not of coronal. Of course, you don't want to do surgery on cases where there is coronal leakage, but apicoectomy and retrograde filling, where it's indicated, it is probably the most efficient and also effective way uh, to address some of these apical lesions. So, uh, you know, as I always say to, uh, to the residents of the school, is the number one source of your success, whether it's on surgical or non-surgical cases, it is your treatment planning. And if you do proper treatment planning for surgical cases, apicoectomy and retrofilling is, um, is, is incredibly helpful and I think it's very much underutilized. Now, part of the reason why it's been underutilized is because the techniques have been very inefficient and it's been, you know, very difficult, frankly. Uh, in the past, we've historically had to use hydrophobic materials or materials that have been only semi-hydrophilic in order to uh, achieve our retrofilling, the required incremental uh, fills of tiny amounts of the material to backfill a retro preparation. You know, if you think of a retro preparation at the end of the root, after you've cut the root off and prepared a three millimeter uh, retro preparation up the root using an ultrasonic, you could think of that as a small, as a three millimeter class one preparation. In the past, people have had to use small increments and then condense using these micro condensers uh, of a retrofilling material up that retro preparation that takes time. And what I have noticed, uh, when patients are alive, they do tend to bleed. <laughs> and it becomes a surgical problem when you're taking a long time to do your retrofilling, potentially exposing the site to blood contamination that could cause problems with your seal of the material and so on. So the need for a hydrophilic material and possibly a technique that would be more efficient in implementation has always been there. We've never had the material until the beginning of MTA. And as I mentioned, MTA was an excellent product and material for this specific purpose. 
the problem with the MTA, again, was the fact that you had to uh, apply this mud air, uh, material into the retro preparation, small increments, and it took quite a bit of time. And during this time, if you ended up getting contamination with the blood, it would cause problems for either the setting of the material or washout of the material. So it was really until 2008 when the biceramic putty material was introduced uh, that we ended up having a solution for this problem, which is a material that could be uh, manipulated and created into little tiny cones even before the surgery began and be left outside for application during the surgery. Because what's nice and interesting about the endosequence putty material is that it doesn't set until it's exposed to water and a biological uh, environment. So your assistant can actually make these little tiny cones before you even start the incision for the surgery. And you can have these laid out so that at the time of the retrofilling, all you need to do is just create a, a, a dry area for a myriad of a few seconds so that you can then quickly apply the material so to the side. Just to make sure we clarify for our listeners, this is a putty material. We're talking specifically about a product called Endo Sequence from Brassler, it, but that yes. material comes in a flowable material for sealer and then a putty material for retrofill? Yes, the, and the Endo Sequence line of materials is a bioceramic formulation. It's the same bioceramic formulation that comes in four, uh, now five different formulations. And all the different, the main difference is primarily the consistency and the, the viscosity of the material that is based on the particle size and some of the fillers that have been added. The most viscous material that's around is the facet putty material, which kind of has the consistency of cabot. And this material, as I mentioned, is premixed. It does not set in vitro or outside on a bench top. It requires to be introduced in vivo where it can capture the water molecules from its surrounding and initiate the hydration reaction and the precipitation reaction that ensues that results into the material being um, um, set which how, takes how, how difficult the, how difficult is it for the clinician to form that cone shape so that it could be dropped in into the retrofill well they could practice with cavit it's the same fresh cavit brand you know fresh can not not that stuff that you find in some of the operatories that has been open in a jar that is like now dried but fresh cavit and facet putty have very much a similar consistency so it's very very easy in fact my assistant does does those little um, cones, and then we add them to, to the site. So in terms of the technique, that's very easy for, um, for implementation. But I personally have actually developed a technique for to make this even faster than the mere use of the putty pellets and cones into the retro preparation. And that technique is a technique called, I call the lid technique, which combines the use of the biceramic sealer, BC sealer, or BC sealer high flow, which is you know the newer version of that, which is a little bit more radio opaque, along with the putty material. And the technique involves there's these little tips that have been prepared that are kind of bent 90 degrees that you can put on the sealer syringe. And after the preparation has been prepared and you have your dry site, you put the tip of these applicators right at the apical at the most uh, uh, coronal end of the retro preparation, which is all the way up against the gutta percha. And you quickly backfill the retro preparation with the sealer material. And then you come back immediately after and place a couple of pellets of the putty on top of that. And that acts as a lid. 
So the technique involves the use of a more flowable material to inject into the retro perforation, followed by the more washout resistant putty material to cover it. That's why it's called the lid technique. How do you so apply the how idea you apply is that you're, in what, what way is the putty? The putty can be applied with a tiny spatula, with a small spatula. So you just you can turn that at that point. You don't even need to make cones because you're just using it as a lid. So what you do at that point, you can even take a little ball of the material, tiny little balls, and just kind of put them up on top and press them down. And that seals the surface. It gives you a one or two millimeter top, um, the cable surface area of the retro preparation would be filled with the putty material, and the space below it would be filled with the sealer. Mm -hmm. And that allows a very, very quick, from my timing of the way I do these retro preps, each retro uh, of the retrofills, each retrofill in my office takes something to the order of 10 to 10 seconds to 15 seconds, which is incredibly fast. And what I have seen by application of this technique that I am actually using less um, of the um, um, hemostatic materials, whether it's the ferric sulfate or the, uh, the aluminum chloride. And this technique, because those materials are so caustic and create so much inflammation post-operatively, this, this technique will not only reduce your exposure time because it takes so much faster to get things done, but it reduces the post-op inflammation that is caused by the hemostatic agents because you don't have to use as much hemostatic agents. Maybe one or two epi pellets can reduce the, um, the blood flow enough for the, you know, for the 10 to 20 seconds time you need to create your, retro, your retrofill. Mm-hmm. And so then once this is I'm, something that I've done now for the past no, years. Yeah, that's a great technique. So once the material is in there, with the uh, combination of both the more flowable sealer consistency with the putty-like material, what's the full setting time on the whole thing? So the putty material is just fast set. It sets pretty quickly. Um, the initial set is within 20 minutes, and then the final set of that material is within, um, within an hour. But the sealer takes the longer time, and that's really the whole purpose of it is that the putty will act as a barrier, if you will, over the longer um, longer setting time sealer so that that has time to set without the blood coming and contaminating and washing it out. That is the whole essence. That's the ideological or the philosophical reason for this technique. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing in a field from, you know, pros back. I don't know. I, I, uh, as an undergraduate, we used to do this light body, heavy body impression technique. We use the light body material to capture the details and use the heavy body to push it. And here we're using the light body sealer material to inject into the retro preparation and the heavier body cap that goes right over it. It pushes the sealer and at the same time, it creates a ring of washout resistant material right in the cable surface that's exposed to the blood immediately after you close the, su- uh, close the flap. Yeah, they have so uh, restorative composites are very similar. They have, you have the more flowable composite that's placed into the preparation, and then there's a cap that goes on top of that. That uh, is a harder material that serves as a more precisely right resistance to compression. Exactly the same idea. The, using the flowable composite at the base, and then putting the harder composite on top on the cable surface. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, that's fascinating stuff. So um, I think you know you covered just about it everything we wanted to cover in this episode. Let me ask you one final question. As far as the clinical outcome, you know, based on the properties of this material, we get some expansion. What has been shown in the literature as far as success rate with these retrofill procedures? There's a lot of science on the material properties of the material, uh, of this material. 
and these materials as a whole. Again, as I don't want to just say it's uh, um, just the end of sequence materials, but also uh, other pure bioceramics. They have a lot of literature supporting it. But in terms of specific outcomes, currently the main one that's out there is the one that's been done in uh, Baylor University, where they showed similar outcomes using this, this technique, which could lead to the saying that, well, if it's a similar outcome, then why use it? The main point is that the similar outcome comes at a much higher efficiency. So you have a much simpler technique and a much quicker technique. And I think the idea that you get the same outcome is great. Yes, I agree. You don't necessarily don't want to necessarily make a case that you're going to get much higher success because, as I mentioned before, uh, your your main point of success, uh, Phil, is treatment planning and then your disinfection protocols, not so much Right. The filling material. Yeah, no, no, that's a that's a great point. If you're doing something that's more efficient and you can prove that it's as good as something that takes twice as long, you've you've just won. I mean, that's a huge success right there. Yeah. All right. Great stuff, Ali. Um, We're really very happy to have someone like you on our program that has such an incredible, extensive knowledge of bioceramic materials. Obviously, you're, you know, an instructor in the postdoctoral division of endodontics at Harvard, and they're pretty particular over there. And you have the uh, experience of actually developing these products, which is amazing. So, again, we're very happy to have you on the show and hope to have you on, back on this show uh, to discuss other endodontic um, issues with you that all of our listeners would be interested in. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.